Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Uh, we're going to be continuing here today on our series on um, obedience and spiritual guidance. Um, I think this is the third one in the series that we've done so far in this Desert Spirituality mini-series. Um, we'll probably one more after this, and then we'll move on to something doctrinal, and then we'll have a little mini-series on that, and then we'll switch back to something from the desert. I wanted to go over some of the stories of obedience from the desert uh, today that we've probably heard that don't really stick out to us and try to work through them and see um, what they might mean on, on a deeper level than, than what we might just be able to glance over at face value. Usually when we're reading through these kinds of things, when we're going through um, the sayings of the Desert Fathers, if you pick up a book and you just start reading through it, it's really easy to skip through and go through them very, very quickly. Um, and just see, like, you'll read through one and be like, oh, that's really cool, and then you kind of flip the page and you, and you continue to go. And you're waiting for something to jump out uh, to you to see what might be able to be um, applicable in your own life. But uh, I think if you end up doing that, you end up skipping through, through a lot of gold. And so I just wanted to take apart a few of the stories here, uh, and we'll see what we can make of it. I know the type here is extremely small, so I'm going to read it off to you guys. Um, it's a simple story, uh, but let's, let's see what we got. Uh, the Abbot Silvanus, which is uh, the Greek spelling and the Coptic spelling for Silouan, Abbot Silvanus had a disciple whose name was Mark. He was remarkable for his obedience, and therefore Silvanus loved him. Now he had also 11 other disciples, and they were vexed because Mark was more beloved than they were. So there's 12 disciples total that Silvanus has. Mark is the one that's the most beloved, and the other 11 are jealous of this. When the elders heard this, they were grieved and came to Silvanus, intending to ask him to give up his favorite since the brethren were offended. So there's, there are other elders that are there. These are not the 11. There are other... Um, Th those that are responsible for, for others in the spiritual life that would be termed elders, they're coming and they're, they're basically asking him, please don't have this one be your favorite. Treat them all equally um, because, uh, because the others are getting offended. Before they had said anything, Silvanus took them with him to make a round of the various cells. He called each monk by his name saying, come out for I have work for you to do. No single one of them was willing to come out. The last of all of those to whom they came was Mark. Silvanus knocked at the door and called his name. Immediately, Mark came out, hearing his master's voice. Then the abbots entered Mark's cell. Now Mark was a writer who copied books. Looking at the manuscript at which he had been at work, they found that he had left unfinished the letter which he was forming when he heard the voice of the old man. This he had done that his obedience might be prompt. Then said the other elders to Silvanus, truly him whom you love, we also love, and no doubt God loves him because of his obedience. Now, we've probably heard the story. Um, I've heard it several times in sermons as well. And I think most of our response when we read something is like this, is what's, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? Uh, why did this make it into the history books for 1,700 years, why do they continue to copy this and, and why do they use this? Because it's a really simple story. From what it is that we can gather, there's nothing from our standpoint that's huge and miraculous here. 
And what we want to read when we read these kinds of things are huge, miraculous, supernatural things. And we don't observe the supernatural in this. Uh, we don't see a miracle here, right? Um, obedience is not just listening to what someone else tells us to do. It's the willingness to put aside our own self, to break our own self-direction. And this is what we're going to see time and again in the various stories that we're going to be covering here today. Self-direction is a disease that we all suffer from to a certain degree, and some of us much greater than others. And so you could say, I know better. Uh, I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I have a fairly good grasp of what's happening around me, and my assessment of, of the situation is, is pretty decent. Um, oh, it just stopped for me. Good. Um, it's a small story, right, that's in the life of, of this disciple Mark. Um, at the mere sound of hearing his spiritual guide, he goes out running to him. Um, and this really shows something that is a huge struggle for uh, most of us, myself included. And that is the, the willingness to want to hear someone else speak. Usually we just want to rely on ourselves. And that's what the rest of those disciples were doing. Whatever it is that they're involved with, you can imagine because they're monks, it's, it's very likely that what they're doing is something spiritual anyway, right? So if it's their prayer rule, obviously he was doing something that's according to his prayer rule. His talent was in copying manuscripts, and so that's what it is that they had him working in. So everyone's doing what, essentially what they're supposed to be doing. But in order to disconnect from that, in order to step away from from what you think is important because you find your heart is in that or this is what you feel is going to bring you closer to Christ, for example. There's something that Mark demonstrates for us here that many of us don't have. And that's the willingness to step away from those things that we feel are even going to bring, bring us closer to Christ uh, if we defer to someone else, right? Uh, we, can, we can actually arrive much quicker uh, at this kind of development in the spiritual life if we had this relationship that was more developed with a spiritual guide. Um, and there's, there's a story here that's the, the second story about Silvanus and, and Mark uh, that, again, really doesn't stand out to us and might, uh, might be a little, little bit problematic for us as well. They said this of Ava Silvanus, that as he was walking to Shahit one day with the old men, and wishing to demonstrate his disciple Mark's obedience and show the reason for his affection of him, he said to him, seeing a small wild boar, boy, do you see that little buffalo? So he sees a boar, right? He sees a, a pig, a wild pig. And he tells Mark, do you see that buffalo? He said to him, yes, Abba. And do you see his horns, how attractive they are? He said to him, yes, Abba. The old men were astonished at his reply and edified by his obedience. This was a very puzzling story for me the first time that I read it years ago because the way that I read it was that his elder was instructing him to lie, right? So the, clearly what Mark sees is not a buffalo. He doesn't see a buffalo with horns. Everyone that's there sees a wild boar that's there. Um, and so who are we fooling? How, how is this obedience... Uh, the kind that should be praised. It looks like 
Sylvanas, Ava Sylvanas is just toying with him, right? And he could just turn him at his whims and say, hey, what do you think of this? And the appropriate response that Mark is supposed to take is the one that he took, and that's why it's written. But that's not why it's written, right? Uh, one thing is clear here, if we dwell on this for just a few moments. Firstly, this is something that we have to keep in mind in, in the spiritual life in general, and is very applicable when we even read things uh, from a biblical standpoint. When we read something that is demonstrated like this, that has a very physical reality to it, there's a, a much deeper spiritual uh, realm that is being pointed to than what it is that we might be able to see here, right? Wild boar, buffalo, suddenly everyone's talking about it, they write it down, and it arrives to us 1,700 years later, right? Mark knows what a wild boar looks like. Um, he also knows what a, what a buffalo looks like. By all human standards, he should be able to recognize that this is not a buffalo that's in front of him. But Mark doesn't trust in his own judgment, even to the point of having learned that what he perceives with his own senses are not to be trusted. He sees something, it's very basic. He sees something in front of him that's very basic, and he will even challenge that reality at the word of the person that he trusts with his spiritual life. Because of that great trust, what he recognizes as being even more true than what his senses show him is what his guide says. And how does that translate into something in the spiritual life? Again, this is, this is used as an example, even for the people that were walking around at the time, to be able to demonstrate this. Because you can sit and tell someone, um, Mark is very obedient, and I want to show you what his obedience is like, and come up with all, all different kinds of things so that the rest of them can be edified. It's not to make everybody else jealous, right? It's so that they can learn what they're supposed to be striving for, so that we can learn what we're supposed to be striving for when we're trying to develop this obedience as well, okay? L look at how many of us uh, bicker and argue with one another. Our lives are, are often filled with quarrels with one another that exist because we assume that we know something. And this assumption is usually something that's very clear to us, right? So it's not, it's not like I have to sit there and guess the motivation of somebody, uh, even though oftentimes that is precisely what it is that we do. Um, and anyone that's been married for more than three days has seen that this is exactly what, what it is that arises in marriage all the time, right? We'll assume the motivation of someone else, uh, and that will get us all fired up because we think we know why it is that they're doing what they're doing. Or the same thing at work, or the same thing with our kids, or anything, right? Any of the people that we interact with, and especially here at church. It's so easy for us to be able to say, ah, I know why this person is doing this. The motivation of this person is X, Y, Z because this person is whatever, right? And everyone knows that. Everyone knows that this person is this way. Uh, therefore, I, you know, it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to be able to, to, to see what it is that, that we're seeing here. Um, there are things that are certain uh, incontestable facts that, that appear to us as being incontestable. You could say, this person said something so maliciously towards me. This person gave me a look. And that look was really a very, very dirty look. And I know that they know what I'm thinking is the reason for why they gave me that look, right? This person said it to my face. I know what they said. I know what they meant. I know. I know. That's self-direction. That's self-reliance. And it's, and it's odd to us to even think that that's something that, that, that we shouldn't rely on, right? 
Um, this is something that you'll see, especially when you go and you start speaking to someone that you trust, like your spiritual guide or your father of confession. You'll go and you'll start, you'll start complaining about the person that you're married to or the people that you're working with or whatever, and you'll tell them, uh, this is what happened. And that person will tell you, you know, maybe we could see it in a different way. Maybe that wasn't what they were thinking. And you'll say, no, I know what it is that I saw. Abuna, you weren't there. You don't know, right? I was there. I know exactly what it is. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not saying it right. Maybe I'll tell the story again so that you can, you can hear it, right? I'll try to find all the evidence so that you can see what it is that I'm seeing because you're clearly not seeing it, right? If you're still making excuses for this person, uh, you're not seeing it the right way. I need to bring you over to my side, right? This is that kind of self-reliance. This is that guidance that we have uh, on ourselves, right? Our own self-direction. What does Avasilvana show us here in his disciple? Mark has learned not to trust his own judgment. Mark's heart is pure. I don't know if Mark actually thinks that he's seeing a buffalo uh, when he's seeing a boar in front of him. I don't know. What, what I do know is that he won't trust his own judgment in something like that. Uh, and in that, we can definitely see that there's something very miraculous because if you can do it with something that's so obvious, and it's not you're just doing it because someone else is telling you and so you just obey whatever it is anyone else is telling you. It's that he has put his trust his life, his spiritual life, into the hands of this father. And he says, I trust that the Holy Spirit will be functioning through you. And I will put that trust to so far of a degree that if someone were to point at this, if my father were to point at this and say, the color of this is blue, the de developed obedient one in full obedience would be able to say, yes, that's blue. Not because they suddenly see blue, right? But because they trust that their spiritual guide is telling them something m more true than whatever it is that they can perceive, right? And that's the kind of relationship that we're supposed to seek after. And it's not something that just comes willy-nilly, right? It's not like you're going to go and you're going to say, well, uh, I want to start developing this relationship with, with Abuna Karolos or Abuna Andrew, for example, uh, and I'll go and I'll confess and I'll tell them this. And whatever it is that they tell me, I'm just going to be able to accept. Mark, when he accepts this and he says, yes, this is a buffalo and he does have beautiful horns, actually believes in his heart that what is being told to him is true. If you go and you tell Abuna whatever it is that you tell Abuna and you don't agree with it, you might grit your teeth and say, okay, Abuna, uh, I'll accept it, right? Maybe she didn't mean what, what it is that I thought that she meant. Uh, but inside of you, you're not accepting that, right? Inside, you're actually very angry or upset. But then you'll push yourself and you'll say, you know what, uh, I'm trying to live the Christian life, I'm trying to be obedient, uh, and so I'll accept it. And through that process, one of two things will, will happen. If you're doing it appropriately and you're having an open discussion with your spiritual guide through this, you'll be able to tell him very openly, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can buy that, but I'm going to try. Uh, and so he could see how it is that you're going to develop. Or you can fool yourself and try to fool him um, and say, okay, Meshi, like I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. And all the while you start building up resentment within yourself. 
you start building up resentment towards the person that you're upset with initially, and you start building up resentment towards your spiritual guide as well. And you get right back to where it is that you started, which is, uh, I don't trust this person, this person doesn't see things the right way, uh, they don't understand me, they don't understand my situation, and it just erupts in, in anger. Uh, the, the virtue that we're, we're struggling for here is not so that we can be fools, right? The virtue is that we would be able to not trust in ourselves even in the things that appear to be extremely obvious to us. And that's why a story like this has, has arrived to us. St. Barsanophios, uh, who was an Egyptian that ended up moving to Palestine, uh, he... He tells us the following. He says, the Lord teaches us when he says, I came into the world not to do my own will. For he who wishes to carry out one thing or desist from another either makes himself out to be more discerning than the one who gives the order or the demons are poking fun at him. But both are evil and are due to demonic activity. So if someone tells you to do something, if your spiritual guide tells you to do something, and you think that you know better, and that's coming from this, this, this point of where you say, well, I can discern it, uh, that's demonic. And if it's actually demonic, that's also demonic. And that's what he's saying. He's equating the two, right? Hence, you should be obedient in all things. For your elder, who gives you instructions, will bear the responsibility as the one who is accountable for your salvation. If what he orders you to do seems burdensome, ask him about it and leave the matter to his discretion. So he's not saying here, just take things blindly. He tells you to do something, just take things blindly. That last line is very important. He says, if it doesn't make sense to you, ask. Have this discussion, right? Because that's how this relationship is going to end up developing. If you don't ask and it continues to, to fester within you, then that demonic activity will end up coming at, at, at a, a point much sooner than we think. Uh, the other thing that's important here to realize is that because these spiritual guides, because your father of confession is responsible for your salvation in front of Christ, if he tells you to do something that truly doesn't make any sense and you end up doing it, it's counted to you as virtue for obedience regardless of whatever it is that's being asked for you to do. Now, uh, that obviously can... can get to a point where you say, well, that might be problematic because they might be telling me, like, what if, what if Abuna tells me to go kill someone? Am I just supposed to go kill someone and then it's counted to me for obedience? Uh, I imagine that there are some people that can even get to that degree of obedience. I certainly can't fathom that as a reality for myself. Um, and I can, in my, in my own disobedience, in my own... Uh, lack of practice in, in this kind of virtue, I'd be able to say, well, th I mean, that's clearly something that would be problematic. But uh, there's something that we have to note from before this, right? Um, if you're entrusting your life to this person, you better also be sure that the person that you're picking is someone that you should trust your life to, right? So if there's an elder that you trust, you don't just go pick anybody and say, well, I'm gonna entrust my life to them. You can learn from everybody, but not everyone is to give you instructions, right? Even today, during the Catholic epistle, it says we shouldn't all strive to be teachers, right? Because teachers have the greater condemnation, because they have the greater responsibility to them. 
Uh, and that's what it is that comes about from this. So say, for example, in the normal everyday things that will happen, because I would venture to say most of us are not going to have so someone that we uh, go to for spiritual guidance or a father of confession that's going to tell us something that's extreme like that, those examples that we like to come up with so that we can justify our own self-direction. No one's going to tell us to really go and kill somebody, right? Um, but we should be able to say, how much of this can I uh, effectively go through in developing this relationship so that I can say, uh, not as I will, but thy will be done. Now, you might say with that, Ava Silvanus, as what we saw, or Saint Barsanophius, these are saints. They're Abbas. Um, and so they've proven themselves. They can be trusted. But if the person I'm supposed to be obedient to is not a great saint, or I can't tell that they're a great saint, uh, and they're not a practiced desert father uh, that makes it into the books, what am I supposed to do? Why should I listen to someone who's just like me? Or even worse, someone that I know that I'm wiser than? What if this person is just wrong? What if Abuna is just wrong? And thank God the desert fathers spoke about this as well. This is St. Ephraim the Syrian. This is what he says. If it so happens that an elder preaches virtue by words on, uh, only, by words alone, but neglects to put them into practice, let us not for this reason give the devil the opportunity to divert our souls from this end. But let us call to mind the Lord who said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you do, that do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. This is the first part of the quote. Let's just pick this apart a little bit here. Okay? If you see that the person that you are supposed to be trusting does something um, that is inappropriate, something that is, is uh, infuriates you and makes you feel like, well, this person really isn't living the spiritual life. This person is not a spiritual person. And I'm sure that when I say this, all kinds of examples abound in our minds as to how inappropriate um, spiritual guides can, uh, can be, especially when they come onto the public realm and then we see how it is that, that stories catch on fire. Um, but what St. Ephraim the Syrian is saying here is, is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Uh, if, they're, if what they're telling you is good, it's objectively good because it's coming from Christ. It's biblical, even if they're not living that right way, right? So if you could see, for example, that your spiritual guide struggles with lust or struggles with pride or struggles with vainglory, you don't say to yourself, well, I'm not going to pay attention and listen to anything that he says. I have to go find a saint because that saint is going to be the person that I'm going to trust. I assure you, whichever saint you find is going to have their own issues as well. You'll find that person uh, can be driven to anger um, or have these kinds of prideful thoughts at times. Uh, the saints are not immune to this, right? And if you catch them on the particular day where the devil really wants to show you that that's how off they can be, um, you, can, you can go in a completely different direction. And I'd venture to say that really happens a lot, right? Where someone sees some, something that 
uh, happens from someone that they really admire and you'd say, I can't believe that that person did that. If that person did that, then, and this is usually what we fill in the blank with, then the rest of this must not be real, right? Because this person is supposed to be living the right way. And if he can't live that right way, and he's the one that's going out and he's the one that's preaching about Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in, in us, et cetera, et cetera. If he can't even do it, then uh, there must be no Christ, there must be no Holy Spirit, this is all a sham, et cetera, et cetera, right? That is the, the, the concept of, of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You can see every human being, if they're human, is, is not going to be perfect. We're all supposed to be striving to perfection, which is why when you find the person that you put your trust in, you're not putting your trust in him, you're putting your trust in the Holy Spirit working through this person. And so even with their shortcomings, you would still trust them because you believe that the person that you're being obedient to is not specifically this person, it's the Holy Spirit working through this person. This is the second part of this quote. Be obedient, therefore, beloved, to your superior in all things, for the Lord's sake, and keep his words unto the end, disdaining not even a single word that comes from his mouth. Then he who said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, will always be with you. Beloved, if our abbots err before us, if our abunas err before us, if our bishops err before us, if our popes err before us, which I pray may not happen, let us be obedient to them with a good conscience and serve them as ones who serve the Lord and not men, knowing that we will receive our reward from the Lord. Again, it's so critical for us to be able to do this. Most of us are not going to be exposed to those really outlandish things that happen. Some of us will be, even in those cases. The one that we put our trust in is in the Lord. And the, the reason why we are trying to be obedient is not just so that I can be obedient to this person, to this abuna, to this bishop, to this priest, for the sake of them being priest or bishop or pope or whatever. You're being obedient to them because you trust that even in their fallenness, Christ can guide you through that. The Holy Spirit can still work through that. And so you could see very fallen people uh, in, that, in that manner and still gain something that's good from them, which is also why you will find in, in the lives of the Desert Fathers, no matter how great they are, they'll, they'll always have somebody that they can see, that they can appeal to, that is not on the same uh, level as them, that God sees as being someone that they can learn from. So uh, a monk can go learn from uh, a woman that's living in the city. St. Macarius gets uh, this revelation that there's, there are two women that are in the city that are of greater spiritual stature than, than he is. St. Anthony the Great hears this, this story about the cobbler that's in the city. And he goes and he sees this man isn't working the same kind of ascetic feats that he's doing. He's not doing the miraculous things that St. Anthony is doing. And yet God instructs him that he can go and learn something from him. Why? Because they've gotten to this point where they could see, regardless of whoever it is that's in front of me, I can still learn something from them. Now that's challenging for us, right? Because we like to be able to recognize ourselves, and we don't want to recognize the pride that we have. So we'll say, well, I definitely know more than a child, because a child is much younger than me. A child doesn't have the kind of life experience. So if this child says something in their simplicity, you'll easily relegate that off to saying, like, oh, they don't know what it is that they're talking about. That's very cute for your age, 
but when you get older, you're actually going to be able to see that things don't work this way. And yet they might actually work that way, right? In, in their simplicity, children can say things that are so true that you can learn from uh, if you're open to it. If you're not open to it, you're not going to learn from the child. You're not going to learn from the person that you're arguing with. You're not going to learn from the person that puts you in, in the wrong mood at church when you go and you hear something from them. You're not going to learn from the priest that you think uh, doesn't speak uh, the spiritual words that, that are tickling your ears. You're not going to learn from these people. You're not going to learn from your spouse because all it is that you're going to see is fallenness. If all that you have in your mind, if all that's exposed to you, the lens through which you see things, is fallenness, and you see people as being fallen people with no compassion towards that, uh, then you won't be able to derive anything good from that. Uh, but if instead you have the mind of Christ and you can see that Christ in his, in his humility identifies himself with all of us, with the poor, with the widow, with the, with the stranger, with the sinner, he identifies himself with all of those people, then we can learn something from that. Not because we're just learning from that person, but, but because we've trained ourselves to be able to see Christ in this person. That's why obedience is what it is. And it is a godly virtue because, again, as he said, Christ in his humanity showed us what a perfect human being is supposed to do. To be able to uh, subjugate our will to the will of the Father. To be able to say, not as I will, but your will be done. And he gives us that as a wonderful example so that even we wouldn't be able to say, look, because he's perfect, because he's God, he didn't have to do that because it's perfectly in line. But he gives us this beautiful example so that we have no excuse. If he himself does that, and that's how it is that we are supposed to be obedient unto God, we should do the same. Questions? Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Yes. Sure. So this is, this is why I try to make a distinction between someone being a teacher, that you actually put your trust into them, and being able to learn from everybody. And that's no... Uh, Comment on, on Nagy. Maybe, maybe Nagy does see blue. I don't know. Um, but but the, the, the point of it is this. As, as I tried to make clear earlier, you are supposed to be developing this relationship with someone that you trust, someone of that stature, so that when they say something like that, that's who you're putting your trust into. And again, it's not because you're putting your trust into him. You're putting your trust into the Holy Spirit that, that functions through that person. That doesn't mean that you can't learn from other people. Right? And that's, that's the, the differentiating point. Uh, everyone can teach us something, but for someone to be a teacher that is going to direct your life, someone that you're going to go and expose your thoughts to, someone that you're going to say, look, you are going to function as the surgeon, I'm going to the, be the patient, you're going to make some really aggressive uh, surgical moves on me 
here and it's going to be painful. That's someone that I trust that does that, right? Now, <clears throat> that person that I trust will also allow me to be able to learn from the rest of these other people by trying to instill in me that mind of Christ, right? So that I can learn from what, whatever it is that the rest of the people are saying. But that true obedience that is given to God is through this person that you have a developed relationship with. Sure. So uh, the means, the incidents that are occurring in our lives versus what's happening in a monk's life are, are obviously different, right? So uh, the environment is different and the things that they are um, going through on a day-to-day -day basis uh, might be different. But the core of what is happening is the same, whether it's here or there, because Christianity is Christianity, right? And so regardless, the only thing that they're doing is they're, they're putting themselves in an environment where uh, they are constantly supposed to be striving at looking towards their own failings and trying to get instruction for that. We are also supposed to be doing that, but the environment is different, right? And so when you give the example of Abuna Karullas, for example, you would go and you'd be able to talk to him about stuff that's happening at home, stuff that's happening at work, stuff that's happening within your own um, prayer life, the way that you feel towards God. Those are universals, right? Those things are universal. So it's not the case where, and I think this is where we end up putting the monks on a much higher pedestal than what the church has ever really recognized them to be. The monks are there because they, they have put it in their mind that this is the purpose that they will do for their life. We are supposed to be doing that, for example, in marriage. When we get married, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Uh, if you don't have that in mind, then all of this stuff looks like what's happening to me on a daily basis is not really applicable, is not something that I should be sharing with Abuna. What I'll talk to Abuna about 
are the spiritual things. And so then we just have that in, in its own category, spiritual things, like uh, what your prayer rule is supposed to be like or how often you're supposed to read the Bible or something like this. But, but Abuna is not there just for that, right? Abuna is supposed to be there so that he can help guide us through the entirety of our life so that we can develop that kind of th- uh, relationship with him so that when we have issues with our spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers, uh, with people at church, that we'd be able to go and speak to him and gain that guidance from him and not be self-reliant. Self-reliance is a disease that we all have, regardless of whether or not you're in the world or in the desert, right? The only difference is that there's kind of a magnifying glass on those that are in the desert because they have to be able to to work through that. Uh, Those that are living in the desert also live in a community and the community will bring out this kind of an issue within them as well. Uh, if, they, if they're not honest with themselves and they're not honest with the people that are around them, then they can carry themselves around as though they're just, you know, fake humble. And we do that here as well. Correct. Right. Correct. Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Mark, in this story, is just being shown as being someone who's obedient. This is not the proof of his um, obedience as though this is the summit to which he has been able to reach, and then we glorify him because of that. Uh, Ava Silvanus wanted to show us something about Mark that Mark does on a daily basis, right? He wants to show us the disposition that Mark has, okay? And, and that is what it is that we're supposed to be striving for. Is Abuna Karullah going to come and, and, and tell me to do something like that? I, I sure hope not, because I'm not at a position where I can be able to do that. But these stories are there not just so that we'd be able to say, like, okay, great for this person, not so great for me because I'm not there. It's so that I would be able to say, look, I realize, or hopefully I'm starting to realize, that I'm uh, much more self-reliant than I think that I am. And so I need to be able to, to rely on somebody else. I need to be able to rely on a, a voice that's not in my own mind. And that has to be someone that, is, that I end up trusting. Now, as you said, many people can choose very foolishly something like that. Even if you choose foolishly, God can still work through that. That doesn't mean God works through that. It means God can still work through that, right? So... It's not the case that, as you said, if you, pour, if you pick someone outside of the church that's, a, that's a, a poor spiritual guide, and then you say, this is going to be my beacon of light towards Christ, for example, um, then there's something that needs to be worked on before that, because your, your own level of discernment is, is a significant issue. 
the point of saying something like this, though, is that usually the way that we're functioning is on ex extremes, right? So you either pick the worst example of what you can pick, or you pick someone that is, again, the shining beacon of light truly in the church, right? So that you'd say, well, if it's not going to be this guy, I want Pope Carolus. If it's not going to be this guy, I want St. Macarius, right? But it's a, it's a spectrum. And within that spectrum, we have people that we do have access to that God does function through, right? People that are, are um, entrusted by the church as being responsible for this, right? So it's actually something that has become, um, unfortunately, much too common now in, in our world where we hear about sort of the great elders say that there are, are wonderful elders in Egypt in the, in the monasteries there and you say, I can't wait until I go to speak to this person because they're going to be able to give me some sort of clarity about something that I've been struggling with in my life. Uh, God works through the people that we have around us as well is the point, right? So uh, you don't have to find the, the great saint. You find someone that is also struggling towards Christ that you would then say, I want to learn how to be more Christ-like from you. Uh, I mean, it, maybe, but it's not a matter of just advice. It's a matter of putting ourselves through the strainer. It's a, it's, it's a very uncomfortable thing, right? It's not just, yeah. we wouldn't be uncomfortable? I, 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 I mean, I can, yeah, I, I can speak for myself. Uh, my father of confession has no problem putting me through the ringer. No issue. Uh, and it's very uncomfortable. He did it with me yesterday. Very uncomfortable. Um, but I've also, this isn't to, to, to speak of, of uh, myself in any sort of way. I have spoken with him enough where he sees really where my shortcomings are. And he could be very direct about that. Uh, if we don't have that relationship developed, uh, and I've, I've known this man for years, um, he might not be at the level of comfort as well to be able to say anything to me, right? Uh, and so that, that's a two-way street. That's a responsibility that he himself had to take on when I went and I spoke to him and asked him to be my spiritual guide is something that he didn't want to do. He didn't jump at that. He didn't say, yeah, definitely, I'll do that, right? Uh, he actually put that off for probably like six months to a year uh, because that's a, it's a terrible responsibility if it's taken seriously. Um, but it, again, it depends on how it is that we're going to incline ourselves to this kind of relationship. If all it is that I'm going to do when I go and I speak to Abuna is go and dump sins on him and then say, this is what it is that I've done, and then I get absolution and I walk out, Abuna will take that, right? I mean, that's good. That's a good thing. Um, but if we're striving to be more Christ-like, not just getting rid of the negative, but trying to move towards the positive, trying to become more perfect in Christ, right? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If we're actually struggling to do that, that's going to take guidance. And that's the part that's really uncomfortable because it sheds light on, on parts of you that you don't realize have darkness in them. And that happens regardless of whether or not you're in the monastery or not. It's just a matter of how motivated you are and how willing the other person is to be able to guide you as well. Does that kind of make sense?
Right, but that's, again, why I'm saying, you know, when we speak about these desert fathers, like how many of us have ever heard of, of Abba Silvanus? Most probably not, right? Most of us don't even know that this guy exists. Uh, and that same thing applies for us in our, in our world right now. If you think that you have to go to someone that is that big name, right? Like you need an Antony or a Macarius or a Bohemius or a Shenouda to be able to do that. The vast majority of monks, if we're just going to look at monasticism, for the last 1,700 years have not had those people that are on that stature, right? They just have the guy that's there that they're able to go to and appeal to him because Christ works through that person as well, right? If we only said, I, I, I need the greatest of them all, uh, then I agree with you. Then you'd say, I, I don't know if I can discern that from the people that are around me. That doesn't mean that the people that are around me are not those people. It's just something that I don't necessarily recognize. You'd be surprised. It depends. It really depends. And it depends on how willing you are to be put through the ringer. If you're not, and they do it, they might actually send you out of here, right? That, that could be so, um, so shocking to you, especially if, if you don't know that it's coming from love, it can look like it's, um, like, like it's chastisement for chastisement's sake, right? And then you say, this person actually has something against me, and then you totally leave. Or you say, the church uh, is very abusive in its nature, and so I don't want to be associated with that. And thank God that, as a result, uh, most of the priests that we have around are very compassionate and never will impose this kind of relationship on other people, but they are there to be able to offer it so that if someone wants to be able to utilize that, then that's what they're there for. Other questions? All right, let's stand up to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen, through the intercessions of the Holy Virgin Mary Theotokos, through the prayers of St. Paul and St. Macarius the Great, and all angels and saints, here is so God only call upon you, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, 